1: welcome to fright school are you ready class is in session Ah, welcome back to Fright School. Hello, Joe. Hello, Joshua. Can you hear me? All right. I can. Can you hear me? All right. Yes, I can. All right. Good. We're we're um doing all right so far. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: all stuff that could have been taken care of two right? five minutes ago, but yeah. you know, it's okay. we it's is, a process.
1: Yeah. Yes, it is. Uh, how have you been doing? How's your week been?
0: um week's been good um
1: you know just another week <laughs> now you know dear listener uh joe is um a, 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 you know he's here talking about horror but he's he's a well-rounded individual uh who also mm-hmm. hosts trivia and you got a really cool uh opportunity this week to do a really interesting trivia gig how did it go <laughs> yeah <laughs> and so how did that come um, about
0: So, um, my, my older sister, um, her best friend and is a longtime friend of our family. He is the mayor of, um, our, my village on Guam, Petey. He's the mayor of Petey. And he, um, he's been doing really cool things like different programming for the village and for the folks there. You know, my village is very small it's not much to write home about in many regards, but, um, you know, I'm very proud of where I'm from and we are all very proud of it. So, um, that all being said, you know, he does, um, in the before time, he would do like all these really cool youth programs and even programs for older folks, um, taking them on field trips and things like that. Obviously with coronavirus, we can't, he can't do any of that. Or it's just not safe enough to do it. So he's been doing a lot of virtual programming, and um, maybe like two weeks before the episode air, two uh, episode week is like episode aired two or three weeks. He asked me to, because um, he knew that I hosted trivia and they had done a couple trivia nights. But he wanted to see if I I would be interested in maybe writing the game and hosting it for um, the village. So cool. I I said yes and. No, knowing that um, he, he, knowing that my episode was coming and that he was going to, the trivia game was going to take place shortly after that. So um, yeah, it was fun. I, so basically I hosted, it was uh, 7 p.m. Guam time, which is 1 in the morning here. Um, and so I stayed up late and hosted trivia for uh, the folks of the village there. And it was fun. It Very was a nice, cool. fun time
1: yeah yeah it looked like it was gonna be fun. It was just I th- what was it at like one a m here yeah one a m so it was
0: seven p m the same day, but it was one a m here okay um so this the same calendar day, so it was one a m the tenth for me, but it was seven p m the tenth for them and um yeah it was uh it was a lot of fun. I asked like they, they what was interesting is that he actually came up with names of categories, so I just had to plug in questions that related. Um, which is really cool and easy for me. Yeah. Cause I was like, Oh yeah, I can just do that. And then there was some trivia. Like there was one category that was like Guam specific. Um, but he had a lot of really cool, uh, he had a lot of really cool prizes, uh, for, for them. And in fact, some of the best prizes that I've ever seen given out at trivia, it was like gift certificates to restaurants, but they were like, second place was like a hundred dollars, like, oh, or, th- or third place was like a hundred dollars. Wow. Um, so, yeah, it was just so, it was so interesting. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is really great. Um, in fact, I'm trying to see what it, but it is, but it was all like Guam restaurants. So, and you had to be a, like a resident of PD. So even if you, <laughs> so no offense to the people who, um, you know, uh, who said <laughs> to the people who I know who played trivia that wanted to play, but not only waking up at one in the morning, but, you know, you had to. Also be a resident. Yeah, it was, see, so here, it's like third place restaurant, third place gift certificate for this restaurant called King's, which is kind of like your diner, like a Denny's diner type, but island style. 150 for a uh, Jamaican restaurant on Guam, and then $200 for um, this other finer dining bistro type restaurant and um, Coldstone, Coldstone Creamery. Nice. So, yeah, so... So yeah, that was fun. and got, got nice feedback. Got to see some people from a childhood, from a childrenhood. Very cool. From yeah, children peoplehood, my children peoplehood. So it was nice. I was a zombie <laughs> the oh, next day, <laughs> um, and it, it it was like, oh my god, this is jet lag, and
1: I didn't go anywhere. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> That's why when I saw it, I didn't realize. I you know again, I I have a hard time like if somebody you know if the timing is confusing so i thought it was going to be a different day uh so i was like you know i had sent you a message um excited for you but i was like i cannot stay up to one o'clock in the morning <laughs> it's okay to, to play trivia but that's okay that it wasn't really meant you know for us i take it you know for like the regular trivia group that you host
0: yeah uh, yeah it was because it, they, they and the way that we they did it was different from the way i do it so like they had there was only like a handful of teams. So only like seven teams, five teams actually. And we were all in the same Zoom meeting. Oh wow. So unlike the trivia that I usually host where you guys just watch the streaming and you can and I'll answer questions in the chat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they were able to like actually ask me questions and we were able to interact like that, which like was so awesome because I haven't done a fully interactive trivia like that in a long time. Yeah. And so it did take me a little bit to get to bed afterwards because I was just like wired from the experience of just being able to interact with people again.
1: Yeah. absolutely. So yeah, How cool. but it was nice. Yeah. yeah. Well, it seems like it was a fun, uh, fun event for you. So we, uh, you know, we enjoy playing the trivia with you when we, when we can, it's um, obviously it's a little bit harder now with the, uh, with class, my Fridays end up getting eaten up with trying to catch up on stuff due by Saturday, um, and I get that or Sunday at midnight, you know. But so it goes back and forth. But it is always a good time, regardless. Uh, you know. Plus, you can feel like, look how smart we are. We know this bizarre thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. I guess <laughs> that's really the appeal of trivia.
0: <laughs> you this bizarre thing, and and honestly, if like if people. Like, it's like if people know me, like, even, like, 25%, there's a lot of stuff that can pick up on in trivia. It's like, oh, this is probably the answer, because Joe mentioned this offhand one time when we were at dinner in the before time.
1: Yeah, there you go. (laughs) That is so true. Um, Yeah. Uh, Let's see, what did I do this week? Well, uh, we saw, finally, the debut of Clarice. Yes, I did too. I watched it with my dad. <laughs> you did watch it. Okay, great. Um, that's awesome. I didn't expect that you had watched it. I enjoyed it. I think that it's um I'm curious to see where it goes. It wasn't as like I you know, I actually went back and rewatched the first episode of Hannibal because mm-hmm. I hadn't seen that in a while. And I was right. I Hannibal like grabbed you kind of right away in a different way than this, um than than Clarice did. Um you know, try. I don't want to really c- compare the shows, but I think it's kind of inevitable. Uh, I, I, I do think it's unfortunate that whoever's negotiating the rights, it's sort of like, why? bother trying to do this, trying to do the Clarice show without having like the rights to, cannib- to, to Hannibal. <laughs> cannibal, to cannibal cannibal because with Hannibal, you know, that story is set like before red dragon and, you know, as this prequel series before Clarice is even, you know, part of the story. So there's a mm-hmm. lot that can be explored there um without needing Clarice, but Clarice's story starts, you know, and intersects with Hannibal's right away. And so him being this sort of, you know, fugitive from justice, it's only been a year. Like he's out there in the world. Like he should be a presence in the show to some extent. Um, Even if they don't want to focus on that, I think that's great. You know, I think Hannibal did a good job. I, you know, I, I'm sad that we didn't get more of Hannibal and that the Clarice story, and they didn't kind of bring in sort of a, a, you know, that, that whole thing is, you know, is like a, a new retelling or something of Silence of the Lambs, perhaps.
2: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. um but you know so it's not like it needed to be the clarice and hannibal show but i just don't see how they're gonna kind of dance around that i'm curious you know i i think it can still be a very successful show uh without that and obviously you mentioned him you know and you know kind of in vague terms because they can't even i guess say the name they've got zero rights um so they can only make these references that obviously you know if you're in the know and you've seen silence of the lambs which if you haven't i don't know why you'd be watching (laughs) so that was another at the beginning it's like they were trying to like there was a lot of uh telling and not Mm -hmm. showing you know which is sort of annoying like i felt like characters were saying stuff as like a lot of exposition you know yeah
0: we're so they were like like the they're just world building at this point, like with this, we're needing to tell you where we are. And
1: (laughs) yeah. yeah. By literally telling and literally exactly having, we're at the FBI. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Rookie cop. (laughs) You know, it was kind of, there were just awkward things like Senator Martin talking about how thin Catherine had gotten. I was sort of like, I think they could have shown that in a different way and been a little bit more artistic with that conversation. um, And assume that, people watching might be smart enough to pick up that, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but whatever, I don't know. I mean, we're used to television and particular horror, you know, kind of explaining a lot. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I do think there's a lot of talking down, not like in like, like a condescending way, but just like assuming people are not smart enough to make the connections. Yeah. Um, so, but overall, I enjoyed it. I'm glad they kind of wrapped but you know that story right away because I mean not completely obviously, I mean, we may see more of her exploring like exactly what's going on behind the scenes and who's responsible. But I like that it wasn't like they immediately set up this long narrative of like the serial killer that she was gonna hunt the whole time.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: so I I like that a lot. I like um, putting her in that position of like delineating, you know what, really is a serial murderer and like the, the, you know, she's a woman who everybody's making, you know, um, judgments about and thinks they know and, and thinks they understand because she was famous and she caught this guy. And, you know, so everybody around her making all of these assumptions about her character. And uh, so I think it's very interesting that the, the first story that they're, they're dealing with is, is these like whistleblowing women, Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you know who are um being silenced. I just thought that was a great kind of overall metaphor. And so I'm curious to see, you know, linking like her stories to theirs. Uh so I'm very curious to see how it continues. Um I really wish they had dropped like three episodes <laughs> just so we could have a better sense of of the 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 plan, you know, mm-hmm. of kind of where it's going to go narratively. Uh, But overall, I enjoyed it. Um, It is very procedural. It's very CBS.
0: (laughs) I was going to say, I'm like, this is, it's very much a CBS show. And um, what's interesting is that I had every intention, you know, we had talked about like me subscribing to All Access. This was just available on Hulu. Like this was just available as part of our regular Hulu subscription on, on, um, I think Thursday it was. So I don't know if maybe the first one is just a taste and then they want you to subscribe afterwards or if maybe that changed. I have no idea, but
1: I, yeah, I'm very I'm very confused because when I went To look for it on CBS All Access, it wasn't there. And then Amazon was like, buy the season. I'm like, I'm not buying the season. I have CBS All Access. What is happening? So then I realized it was actually being shown on CBS at 10. So it's a CBS show, which also dampened my excitement for it a little bit. Because they're not going to be able to be as explicit. And there's some Mm -hmm. things that are going to be, I think, toned down a little bit. Uh, to be on CBS. Unlike The Stand, which was on CBS All Access, and they could kind of curse more, and you know, deal with the, you know the sexuality and the gore and the horror of it all in in a in a in a, um, in a detailed, you know, larger way. Uh, so, yeah, again, I'm very curious. I don't typically like even Hannibal. I didn't really watch when it was new on NBC. Mm-hmm. I. Um, even though I think it really pushed the boundaries. Once I did start watching it, I was like, I can't believe they actually showed this on NBC. You know? Oh yeah. So we'll see how Clarice develops. I mean, um, you know, American horror story, I think really pushed, started to really push the boundaries of what would be on like just regular mm-hmm. television to some extent. I know FX is, um, a cable, uh, yeah. it's a cable network, but still, you know, it's, it, it's a little, I think closer to, you know, um, network television than, than like mm-hmm. HBO or Showtime.
0: Oh, absolutely, yeah. So
1: I think they are getting away with more. I think the, you know, sort of the the censorship has to bend a little bit because otherwise people just, you know, there's a lot of options with television. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so overall, I'm curious. Um, I started rereading The Silence of the Lambs because I hadn't read it in a while uh, and that's the one thing, I watching Clarice, just kind of made me want to rewatch Silence of the Lambs, so I'm really hoping yeah. that we don't get to the end of it and that's just like, well, yeah, I would have preferred not to have even bothered with this, you know, I'm really mm-hmm. hoping that it gets better in the sense of, um, you know, get, getting beyond being some sort of procedural or something that's just going to be in the shadow of silence of the lambs, mm-hmm. um, you know, cause I do think Clarice's story is worth telling. And I wish, I really wish that Thomas Harris had went back and written that book, you know, and, 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 you know, I get having like a Hannibal, sequel and focusing on that character obviously there's a lot there but Clarice Starling really revolutionized uh female characters I think in a lot of ways uh be- beyond horror um mm-hmm. you know but of course obviously you can tie like Scully you know to that and you know there there's um and more well, you know I could list names I'm sure but sat here and just thought <laughs> um you know so her story is worth telling and i wish that he would have written that book i wish we could have gotten a clarice book that really explored what her life was really like and then they would had um more source material maybe to go off of rather than just you know silence of the lambs and what we know happened to her in hannibal which a lot of fans hate (laughs) it so in the novel at least so um even though i know the film hannibal also is very um divisive but yeah so I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of it. Um I'm I'm I'm, I'm hoping that it's it's good. It was a good start. <laughs> yeah, a decent start. Um let's see the other news. Uh I don't I I'm trying to find if this is real real or not cuz I, <laughs> I um but we'll see. Apparently, Netflix is going to develop uh, an Adams family TV series with Tim Burton uh, called Wednesday. This is the rumor right now. Um, it's going to focus on Wednesday going to the Nevermore Academy, um, a boarding school. Uh, where she's going to be involved in some sort of murder mystery. It just sounds very Netflix, <laughs> you know, very like institutional Is it Mr. Kieran Shipka? <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, they haven't announced anybody. I guess they're looking for um, the lead role expected to be uh, Latina, his- or Hispanic is what it says here in this article between 18 and 20, uh, Gomez and Morticia will be part of it. Uh, but they haven't revealed any cast members. Um, apparently it's going to be eight hour long episodes. Um, hmm. yeah. So we'll see. Uh, I don't know if this person like saw a casting list cause there are other supporting character names that are possible. Uh, but again, I don't know if this is all BS because I, I only can find one source for this. What's on Netflix. So we'll see as the week progresses, if more info comes out. Um, I don't know how I feel about it. I do love the Adams family. I love the movies. I love Chaz Adams, original, uh, series of cartoons for the New Yorker and beyond. Uh, I think we've talked about that before. Um, I really enjoyed the animated movie they did a couple of years ago or a year or whatever it's been. I cannot tell time anymore. I keep being like reminded of stuff that happened a few months ago. And because of like the pandemic brain, it feels like it was years, you know, mm-hmm. like I forgot the Invisible Man came out last year at the beginning of like the pandemic.
0: It was it the feels- last movie I saw in the theater.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It feels like it was years ago. But anyways, um so whenever that Adam's family animated film came out, I enjoyed that. I'm looking forward to the sequel of that. This sounds the, the description of this sounds very, you know, rote. I guess. So I hope Mm -hmm. that Tim brings something inventive to this genre. Um, I think this is something we could really actually explore on the show, that kind of institutional, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when, when people are at boarding. So there are just a lot of tropes and, um, Stereotype. it's gonna
0: be helena Bonham carter as like the headmistress right <laughs> right <laughs> and johnny depp um, and, yes and J- johnny depp playing yeah you know has a cameo as like some crazy
1: professor yeah so we'll see i if if this is even true again i could not find it in many other sources but i thought i would bring that up um just to say that's some news floating out there Feel free to check that out. We appreciate um, that. Appreciate that. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to bring up is Fangoria's 2021 Chainsaw Awards are out. So if you go online and look up Fangoria 20 uh, Chainsaw Awards 2021, uh, it's oh, it's fan vote. So um, I think they the uh, the voting closes tonight, February 15th. So if you're listening to this, go now <laughs> mm-hmm. if you want to vote um and so i thought it was cool because they they have the list here so um uh, the invisible man actually reminded me of this because their top like the the choices for best wide release movie are freaky gretel and hansel the hunt the invisible man and underwater which i've not seen that's that Kristen stewart movie I think. oh my Oh, my heart did you see that No, mm -mm, didn't care to. (laughs) All right. And then best limited releases were color out of space, the dark and the wicked possessor relic and the wolf of snow hollow possessor. I did see, I just saw that this week. That was a strange movie. I definitely think we should do it on the show sometime. It was very, very interesting. Uh, Anyway. So, and then it goes on, they've got, you know, best first feature, best streaming premiere. Uh, best foreign movie. Blood Quantum is on there. I voted for that, of course. Um, best, you know, new series. This is all for last year, 2020. Lovecraft Country's on there. Uh, lead performance, supporting performance, director, screenplay, score, makeup effects, creature effects, blah, 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 on and on. So lots of, th- oh, no, actually, only one more thing, achievement and nonfiction. So, <laughs> mm. uh, including Scream Queen, My Nightmare on Elm Street, which i that's what I voted for.
0: And then did you, you watch fill- the Dracula series? I'm actually on the website right now. Did you watch yeah, the Dracula series?
1: Yeah, uh, the new one that they did. It was very, uh, it was interesting, but I was overall disappointed in it. Um. Uh, but yeah, and you also can fill in your best kill, which I voted. I put in the freaky wine bottle. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes, because I just had never seen anything like that before. Uh, I thought that was a lot of fun. So. That's that. So I just encourage, you know, hey, use your voice if you want to, if you like Fangoria or if you want to be involved in, uh, you know, their Chainsaw Awards. It's always interesting to see kind of what the fan community thinks of as the best films. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, the ones that they chose. I've seen a lot of them, not all of them, but uh, yeah. Fun, fun. Anything else to, to say before we uh, dive in? You know, it's no. <laughs>
0: right. I thought I was gonna say something, but no, I am nothing. All righty. Well then uh, do I'm you just ready to... for ready for our convo.
1: Yes, we will be right back to wade into the
0: In the water waters
1: of Eve's <laughs> Bayou. <laughs> All right. Haley Piper, Patrick
0: Lacey. S.E. Howard, Waylon Jordan, and Jeremy Herbert,
1: five acclaimed authors of horror and dark fiction. Their twisted tales appeared in the acclaimed horror anthology Worst Laid Plans from Grindhouse Press. Now, their tales of vacation
0: terror are coming to the big screen in a feature film adaptation from Genre
1: Blast Films. Five acclaimed genre filmmakers will bring these stories to life. Samantha Koyesnik, John Hale, Vanessa Yonta Wright, Michael Escobedo, and Jeremy Herbert.
0: Worst Laid Plans. Now crowdfunding on Indiegogo. This is one vacation you'll be dying to take.
1: <laughs> Alright, welcome back. Yes, we are continuing our Black Horror History Month celebration. And today uh, we are intersecting because it's also women in Horror Month as well. Uh, so we are Combining those things into Women in Black Horror History Month day to (laughs) day. Come on. Come on, Kimberly Crenshaw. Uh, Uh, So we are talking about the 1997 uh, film, Eve's Bayou. And as a, I've got a couple little things I want to read as an introduction to the story. The first is uh, from Horror Noir. Imagine that. Are we surprised? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, Eves Bayou, directed by the award-winning Black female director, Casey Lemons, places... Black folk religion uh, black folk religion as central to her narrative. Set in a small town in Louisiana in the 1960s, the film tells the story of the Batiste family descendants of a white slave owner and his black slave. The family is negotiating a series of traumas. We'll just uh, leave that there for a moment. And then from Graveyard Shift Sisters, Eve's Bayou shows people of color, specifically African-Americans, defying Hollywood movie tropes and media definitions of, quote, the black experience. The Batists are well-to-do, respected in the community, and yet have their secrets. The epitome of the gothic family. It's well-paced, well-acted, especially by the child actors, and provides a welcome break to the slave narrative so prevalent in films with southern settings. Um, so a whole bunch of stuff just fell down. <laughs> um, I don't know if you could hear that, maybe not. Um, so yes, I think um that is a good place to kind of explain, you know, kind of contextualize a little bit of, of the film. And uh I also like so there's the, Eve's by You as a horror film. You know, I don't classify this, I was talking to somebody else necessarily as like horror in the way that we typically think of horror mm-hmm. um so i love this again from uh the, the graveyard shift sisters talks about how in a way it is um like a, a terror film so they say they would call it southern gothic the strange and unusual the use of magic Importance. Draped in the moors and practices of the South is a classification unto itself. Um, there's crime, mystery, family secrets, magical practices, coming of age, infidelity. The list goes on. Um,
0: we yes, very see- Southern Gothic.
1: Yeah, we see Eve's point of view for the majority of the film, and we recognize the gentle flutterings of her budding awareness that something is wrong, that what made her feel safe, her family dynamic, is changing, and that is terror. Nowadays, people tend to use the words horror and terror interchangeably when they're really quite different. Terror is the feeling of dread, anxiety, and anticipation that precedes the horrifying experience— Horror is the feeling that occurs after something frightening happens, aversion, shock, fear, etc. It's a response to seeing or hearing or feeling the awful thing, which I think is, uh, again, a really good place to kind of start with talking about Eve's Bayou is that there is this sense of like dread in it. Um, And I classify it sort of as existential horror. You know, Mm -hmm. there's a lot in watching this film that I personally can identify with out of my own childhood, um, you know, the universal themes and, um, you know, beyond the very real, um, you know, horror experience by some of the characters, but let's, uh, let's chat Joe. What did you think?
0: A beautiful film. Very beautiful. Um, and I, I actually I really liked it. Uh first time seeing it, of course, as is our brand. Um <laughs> and I was like, wow, it's got it's got powerhouses in here. Um I was like, <laughs> I think I said the way RuPaul says it, Diahan Carol. <laughs> it's like, Oh, that's Diahan Carol. Um and Lynn Whitfield, uh, but, but most of us, all, this is going to sound really basic, but the most surprising thing was when uh, Moselle shows up for the first time at the party, and I'm like, oh my god, it's the seer from Charmed.
1: <laughs> oh, is she in
0: that? Yeah, she's in um she's in the original Charmed series, and she plays a seer, Um, oddly enough. uh, So, I'm not going to say that, you know. Maybe she got that role because she played basically a seer in this one, but uh, mm. in uh, Eve's Bayou. But I was like, oh, and I love her. I loved her too in Charm. So it was nice to see her there. But yeah, it was it was a good film. It was. Um, I I didn't get I didn't allow myself to get caught up in that exactly that conversation of like is this horror? I was just like, oh, there's things in here that are pretty horrific. I mean. And, you know, it's, it's like magic and, you know, the, the, just the overall looming of like regular racism, which they, which is not addressed. Like it's it's addressed in like the story of who Eve is, the original Eve and how, you know, the Baptiste family came to be. But I'm like, man, you know, it's I just didn't I just accepted it as what it was is like this very like Southern Gothic um, tale, which is its own brand of, you know, horrific.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's sort of interesting. So we um, there's that word again. Uh, you know, we started this series with two films uh, contextualized with like black Um, and that that is a very specific. um type of film and there are certain expectations of the characters in it uh you Mm -hmm. know there's certain expectations that the film will have lots of sex and lots of violence and you know uh blood and gore and those sort of anti-authoritarian characters and lots of clashes and conversations about race and about black power and uh you know about um you, the, the systemic racism of the police and of and of of the overall you know American society, you know that those are sort of the themes that are in those kinds of films. Even though mm-hmm. I still argue that Ganja and Hess, uh, I don't really consider a black exploitation film, but it does get you know kind of put in there. Um, which something you know I wanted to say during that episode that I didn't, and again I think with Eve's Bayou, um, Gan, you know. That film, it's like, I just have to wonder about the state of culture and the state of film had there not been so much racism (laughs) and misogyny, you know, because like a film like On Jen Hess was so, to me, beautiful and strange and artistic. And you think of all the other minds that if they had been given the money and the opportunity to create you know, artistic films, how much further, like, the, the, the art of film would be pushed, you know, it's that idea of like, sure, there was Einstein, but how many Einsteins died in factories or died in, you know, a field, you know, or, you know, how many of us are, are just as creative and just as uh, capable of, of making beautiful stories, but are not given that advantage or given that, um that uh, moment and i think eve's bayou is another film like that where it's this this beautiful meditation on childhood and life and the complexities of life and mm-hmm. um i just want more movies like this rather than um you know 200 million dollars being spent to blow up new york city <laughs> you know so anyway so my point being you know, we started with that. I I didn't choose a movie from the 80s to really talk about because I think the 80s there. I mean, and there are plenty of great films of that time, um, but we saw a lot of the very uh, a lot of the same kind of repetition that we'd seen so much in other horror films. And we've certainly talked on this about uh, horror films that failed their black characters in a lot of ways. So going moving into the 90s. Um, 90s film uh, black film in the 90s kind of had a renaissance and especially in horror there's some excellent horror films and excellent um, you know a, a more a broader um, what did I write earlier the 90s it was like a, a multiplicity of, <clears throat> of the types of people that happened to be black just <clears throat> like white people just like you know Uh, Latino people, Asia people, gay people, women, you know, again, that we're back to that idea that we're not monoliths, you know, so the 90s allowed this much more, not perfect, obviously, I don't know if we ever, you know, if 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 they're if it's perfect, <laughs> I think is probably because we're still operating under a lot of white supremacists and a lot of racist studios and and all of that. But there was just this sort of influx of films that got to explore black identity in this much broader way, mm-hmm. uh, and we're seeing that again now. I think we're in like another renaissance of that for queer people and black people and women. You know, to tell these more interesting stories that aren't about being. <laughs> whatever that is, you know? So I think Eve's by you, um, what I like. So this is actually from Casey lemons who wrote and directed this, uh, her first film, which I think is just incredible, uh, writing and directing at least she had done other, work obviously she was in The Silence of the Lambs as Ardelia. She was in um Candyman, Candyman
0: as uh, Bernadette, right? Bernadette. Uh you know, she played <laughs> I I I looked up her IMDB and I almost completely forgot that she had played like the black lady character sidekick who knows more than the like white lady. <laughs> the
1: right. white lady. Yeah. Yeah she definitely gets brought up in that. And again, that's not necessarily obviously her Fault I mean, these are mm-hmm. characters um at least with with our DLA she's written. I think she's more complex in the novel, obviously, but it's a mm-hmm. novel, um but still not as you know it's she still serves that function um as that sort of um helper you know mm-hmm. to Clarice uh but again, yeah, she definitely comes up in those sorts of conversations about uh the that kind of trope so um but for a first film. Uh, And again, and I mean this, I I say that it's extraordinary, not because she is a black woman, obviously, but to make a film so beautifully and so well done, regardless of who you are, you know, there's a lot of terrible first films out there by directors we love, you know, they didn't do as that first jaunt out, make a really complex uh, film, you know, in such a beautiful way. Uh, So um, I found her, uh, an interview with her and... To speak to a little bit about how race, you know, you at least this came out in ninety seven, so a little bit later in the nineties, after you know the decade had kind of been going for a bit, um, she, her characters are. There's that conversation about where they come from. So, you know, you can watch the film and think about that. Think about Mm -hmm. the effects Mm -hmm. of enslavement and of, um, you know, how their family came to be as, as explained, but they don't hang out on that. Like race isn't this thing that they're tortured by. Uh, you know, again, it's sort of like the gay films we're tired of seeing, like, we're just sick of seeing people tortured by their queerness. So uh, this is from an interview with Casey. uh, She says, "Uh, I wanted to make a movie with all Black people. I wanted it to be about a place that kind of merged into one race. To me, it's a fable. Eve's Bayou was full of Black people that had sprung from masters marrying slaves. What became important was that they were any family, and that they didn't sit around obsessing about race. They never really mention it. When I grew up in St. Louis, I was in a black world. I didn't know any white people. If I knew them, I probably thought they were black. The way my black world was, the skin tones went from ivory to ebony, and so they were all people of color. We had our own complicated lives. People had love affairs, and there were hierarchies. This black world had glamour and all this sophistication and a very complex society, and I wanted to reflect that, and I think that's very true for this film, although... um, I always think it's interesting when uh, like Shakespeare is like the signifier, you know, so we get yeah. right away, obviously it kind of comes up, you know, it's set in the 60s, the film comes into this party, it's in a beautiful, like, you know, house, mansion, kind of, you know, thing. Um, I don't know exactly how to explain the house, but it's, you know, they I think at one point, they say they have four bathrooms, it sounds like a huge house to me. You know mm-hmm. it's, it's beautiful. There's lots of people there, lots of joy, dancing. You know, so this is a you know I think presented as a well-to-do family, but you really know when the one child starts speaking Shakespeare, you know, starts quoting Shakespeare. That's like this signifier, which I I just find, um, I just find that interesting because that pops up in a lot of films. You know, um, as a way to say that oh, you must be intelligent. You know, this must be yeah. well-to-do schooled, you're quoting Shakespeare just off your, yeah. your tongue. They read Shakespeare, they read other, you know, works throughout the the film. Not saying that it is or isn't. Um, I, you know, I think we're in that kind of period now where we're sort of having that um tussle with, like, the classics. I think we've talked a little bit about that on the mm-hmm. show. I've definitely talked about it with other people about, you know, how how long will we continue to value you know when when will works by these particular white men when will we see more of like a balance you know i think about Mm -hmm. reading um a a book this sort of reminds me of of capturing that same kind of quality as beloved by tony morrison but that's sort of like here we're going to read this book as like a representation of something done well by a black person by a black woman rather than in the context of being a great work Worthy of being taught regardless, mm-hmm. along with Shakespeare, along with, you know, The Catcher in the Rye and One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest and, you know, the other things that we've, um, you know, that we get taught. I don't know. Thoughts on that? <laughs> um, <laughs> like I
0: mostly thought, I was, I mostly, I mostly thought like, wow, Megan Good from the beginning of her career played the trifling woman. <laughs> she's, she's Sisley. <Cicely. laughs> she she plays Cecily and i was like dang and then she went on to have like a career where she plays like you know the um the like lying temptress femme fatale type woman um
1: yeah but i mean i don't know if that's her role
0: here no obviously. it's not her but like when when she was like telling them what to do and you know what i mean oh, like yeah, she yeah. plays the kind of this uppity you know and i i understand how joshua looked at me like be careful and i'm like yes the the word uppity is a uh can be a trigger for something but like you know she played like you know and then you realize like oh no she actually has much love for her siblings and especially for um especially for eve so to kind of to see that play but like when she's like scolding them and i'm like oh look at (laughs) Like, look at Megan Good all up in here trying to, you know, tell people how to live right. <laughs> in this <laughs> through um, Shakespeare. Through Shakespeare, no doubt. <laughs> and then and then also realizing that, like, you know, I probably could have been that kid <laughs> who was like, you know, trying to trying to be uh you know, be all up in grown folks' business.
1: <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. And I think because of the way like i was raised and 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 again the the things that sort of echo in the film for me is like you know our grandmother was a lived with us she was kind of a major presence in our life uh she also kind of had that sort of you know because she was from like appalachia and 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 like that mountain folk there was that mountain magic kind of thing so some of the things in, in the like herb you know, urban magic, root magic, uh, you know, that stuff I remember as a kid, um, you know, my grandmother kind of talking about and being into and, you know, she always had these folk remedies for everything that did seem to work. Uh, I, I wonder sometimes about, you know, the power of mind over matter, mm-hmm. um, you know, but she would, you know, just do different things. Uh, but... But she was also a very complicated woman in that, you know, she was an alcoholic. And so we were exposed to a lot of, you know, things, Um, you know, these sort of adult problems. Uh, You know, my mom was very young and, you know, we lived in small places. So it was easy to kind of be caught up in the drama of adults' lives. Mm -hmm. And having come from a, you know, a Southern Baptist upbringing there was all these times i was constantly worried that everybody around me was going to hell <laughs> you know so you kind of worry about the souls of the adults around you um and you know and that's kind of part of that like existential fear here and also like familial fear obviously so with um journey smollett's character she's eve the main the main character and um you know she's she's so good in this, uh you know and and obviously the the catalyst for the events of the film are her catching her father having this affair in the i don't even know what that was was it like a garage it was a it was a like a stouter. she said it was the carriage house, the carriage house, um you know, but with all the wine and stuff, which hey. I would have been hanging out in there. Um, Yeah. (laughs) You know, so she sees that. And then, you know, when she tells her sister, uh, Cicely again, Megan Good's character about it, Cicely convinces her. That's not what she saw, you know? And so Mm -hmm. the film is kind of also this dissertation on memory and well, what, what's real, what's not, you know, what do, what do you, what actually happened? Mm -hmm. Um, and that obviously plays in again to what Cicely, you know, her character goes through and what she hides. Um. Yeah, it's just it's just so <laughs> I just really I just I really like this movie. I think it's very beautifully done. Um I was trying to think of um some of my favorite scenes it, that like the the scene with the mirrors in Moselle where she sees like mm-hmm. her her husband and her, the, uh, what happened. I think it's just such Oh, Maynard, the first husband. Yeah. Yeah. That fight with, um, is it Hosea?
0: Hosea. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's just so well done, like through the mirrors and how that kind of is foreshadowed early in the film when she's looking in the mirror and she sees the three men behind her because so her, you know, Moselle, the aunt. She has this vision. She can. She has the sight, uh, which um, Eve is also developing. You know, so she's inherited, or you know, however you want to look at the gift of that. Again, it kind of also reminds me of like Practical Magic, mm-hmm. uh, you know, which I think the book was written about probably around the same time, like um, night or you know, mid nineties. You know, so this curse, like women having this like curse <laughs> on their on their lovers. And so her husbands are all dead. She thinks she's cursed, but she, you know, tries to help other people with her gift. Um, but that whole scene with the, the mirrors and how that plays out, I just think is so creepy and, and, and really just really well done. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Mm, No, nothing. Okay. (laughs) thought you started to say something. um, so, what else do we want to talk about with this movie? There it's very um, layered, <laughs> I think is probably the the best way to put it, huh?
0: There's a lot there is a lot happening. So, you know, it's not the whole time I'm watching it I'm I'm thinking like, wow, this movie this movie is is should it be like a series. Like I would love to see this be a series, like a new adaptation of it. Like a new adaptation, make it a series. Make it like have Journey Smollett play Moselle, (laughs) and make it a prequel. (laughs) No, seriously, and make it a prequel Mm -hmm. um, where we get Journey Smollett as Moselle. We get some other um, uh, some other great actor to play Louis. And just make it like them as them in as youngins coming into themselves and seeing where it comes from there. So m- making it a prequel in that regard. I it, this this movie was also it was dangerously close to being to having too many things going on for me, but I think there was just enough that it kept me interested, um, and the time kind of flew by because it's like you have the stuff that's going on where. You know she um, where she meaning Eve uh, you know, catches her father and the deception there, and then all of a sudden, like she has like we we get introduced to like this magical power, and I thought it was really interesting that we're like being gently introduced to that. <laughs> And not like, wait, right from the beginning, we know that's a thing. Um, Well, I mean, we knew it was a thing because in the voiceover, we hear a little bit about like the magic that Eve, you know, used to, to, you know, revive Baptiste. Yeah. Right. Uh, so so it's just really interesting to see like th- all these different things going on. and each of them has like their beautiful moments. Moselle's whole thing about being this black widow, um, who, you know, <laughs> unintentionally is responsible for uh, the deaths of her people, uh, her, her husband's, I actually didn't think it was going to go that way. I thought that it was going to be, yes, she is responsible, but mainly because it's an exchange for her gift. I thought we were going to have it, a Papa Legba situation. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Uh, because you know, we, that's, um, with witches, that's always the price, right? There, you, you pay in some regard for the power. Um, But when I I was glad to see that that wasn't the case, and I I just loved everything with her being you know this um, being this power. Plus, um, you know, like it seems that for whatever reason, she's the only member of the Baptiste family who kind of like like she knows that she carries the power. Like there's, there's no one that's maybe she knew, maybe she saw it in Eve at a young age. So she like, is trying to, that's why she's there. She's like training her, grooming her for, um, to take over. Um, yeah, and to this, co- like
1: special relationship, obviously.
0: Yeah. Because of that. But like, it's not anything that like, you know, grandma knows <laughs> grandma's doing, or they just kind of accept that like, Oh, her visions come true. Um, but the family doesn't seem to even be aware of their heritage in that way. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, mm-hmm. it just, it's, it, I thought that was uh, an interesting choice. And then also interesting that, like, you know, there are other, to have um, Diahan Carroll's <laughs> uh, character also be, like, this other source of magic in the community. Um, which is just as powerful and just as accurate uh, which was really interesting.
1: Um, yeah, yeah. Oh no, was, absolutely. It- I agree. I love the, uh, the the sort of like magical realism. Yes, it, uh-huh. you know. So it's not like overly, you know, Ooh, magic. It's very, <laughs> yeah, you know, control. It's just part of their lives. It's this natural, you know, like. Of course, Moselle's a psychic, and of course we should trust her vision. And I mean the you know um, the mother, um, Roz, played by um, Lynn, Whitfield,
0: Lynn Whitfield, amazingly.
1: Yes, um, you know there are so many like Lynn Whitfield, uh, you know Debbie Morgan. You, there are these incredible women in this that you know deserve so much more praise for their acting and deserves all the awards (laughs) because it's just, they're just so well done. Like Roz is like, so, you know, just, you can see, like the cracks and, you know like she's so mm-hmm. perfect but they're like she just plays her so well like especially mm-hmm. as it goes on and and you know lewis the uh samuel l jackson's character you know he just becomes like ah fuck it like i'm just gonna go out play it's a small town dude you know like he's out doing whatever he wants like he's just taking her for granted taking his family for granted taking for granted that you know the the, the and they let him they let him though when, when, yeah, what you know? What choice do they do? Women have sometimes, you know. True, Especially it, in a small town where you're like the family, you mm-hmm. know, it's named after their ancestors. Their, you know,
0: when he like looks into the room and sees like his sister, his wife, and his mother, you know, uh, huddled in conversation about him, and he just says, "Oh yeah, them. They're always angry. Like,
1: <laughs> yeah, they're always mad." He's just totally dismissive. Yeah, uh, you know he can do whatever he wants to do to whoever he wants, uh, you know, without, um, you know, without fear of repercussion. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, until there are repercussions, <laughs> which we, yeah. you know we'll talk about in a little bit. But, um, but, but yeah. oddly enough,
0: those. Oddly enough, it's like it's his frailty, right? It's just his personal failing, is um, and he ends up getting punished for it, uh, not any by not, but not because of any monstrosity. Um, and that letter at the end, oh, like I was not expecting that. That was such a good ending,
1: yeah. So, um, Eve's. Eve's sister, Cicely, tells her, like, they have this, um, there's a big fight between the mom and the dad, which, again, that's also very, like, I, you know, remember nights like that, like, you know, so there's that, again, that kind of childhood trauma and horror, you know, of thinking that things are good and happy, and then, you know, this kind of thing between your parents rocks the world, uh, as far as you know it, um, You know, so they have this storm, this stormy fight, because it's also (laughs) a big storm happening. Um, And Cicely goes to comfort her father. And in her version of events, he comes on to her and and tries to kiss her. And and that's the whole thing. And that sets off this chain of events where she's more withdrawn. She's also going through puberty. She's, you know, uh, really struggling with her own identity. And she's becoming sort of... um, Uh, alienated from her sister who's starting to see her as this kind of monster. What are you doing in the bathroom all the time? What, you know, why are you angry? Why this, why that? Uh, And so she decides she's going to go live, I think with a relative
0: Mm -hmm.
1: uh, to get away from, you know, the father. And so when she, but we don't say it's
0: the father, like, like, it's just they need some time like apart yeah
1: i mean it comes out later but you yeah. know eve obviously learns this and she be you know she begins to hate her father for what he's done to her sister and so that's kind of her the you know the rest of the film after that point is her trying to find a way to kill him <laughs> she he is bringing he is this horrible figure who's bringing so much pain into um uh, mm-hmm into her life and the lives of her mother, her sister, her grandmother, you know, all the women in his family, he's, you know, um, making their lives very difficult. And, you know, so Eve has this struggle that she wants to get a voodoo curse, a voodoo doll, something like that to, to, to harm him, uh, you know, to, to end him. <laughs> and so she goes to El Zora, um, and that's Carol's character, uh, Diane Carroll, um, who is probably, I guess, the the most, like, sc- quote-unquote scary element in mm-hmm. in, the, in the film in, the, in this way of, like, being uh, this other kind of figure with her white paint and all of her, you know, uh, v- voodoo-type, you know, materials. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, so she... Eve goes to her to, to ask for this spell, um, which she does. She doesn't make her a doll, but this other, she does a different kind of spell with some- For $20, too. For $20. I know, right in the 60s. I'm like, where'd you get $20? Like,
0: Yeah, she was so incredulous. She was like, $20? <laughs> was like, you yeah. got $20? dollars
1: i kill your daddy for $20.
0: Right.
1: Yeah, it's very, um, yeah. Anyway, so that's like the crux of her- Torment then is obviously when the dad does die, she thinks herself responsible. Now, of course, like you were saying, really, it's this complete disregard for other people, you know, Um, and that's kind of in the letter that he writes later saying that he needs to feel like a hero and that the women in the town make him feel like a hero, uh, something that obviously he must not feel like he's getting from his own family and um, or else is not uh, appreciating that he is, you Mm -hmm. know. In this sort of role, you know, he's a doctor and they, you know, they need him and, you know, rely on him.
0: There's a dissatisfaction uh, with his life, even though, like, upon further examination, he would, he should be satisfied. Like, you know, right. they're, they're a notable family living in the 1960s, black <laughs> in the South. Like, it's, yeah. it's very, I mean, it's also Louisiana. So, like, you know, they have a history of, um, There's already kind of that history of like, of um, just like freed Creole people living openly in, in, um, in, in the area. So, but yeah, I mean, like, it's just, it's his own frailty, his own desire and need to be more um, than, to be, to be more than what he feels he is. Right, Um, right. And it's not enough that like it's not enough that his family, like Cecily. I think he mentions it in the letter, like Cecily, I was a hero in her eyes, and maybe that's why I let it go on too far.
1: Yeah, because his letter to I think he writes it to Moselle, right? Telling yeah her, like, to Moselle not touch her in any way. It's not him. Her version of events are not true. Um, but hashtag believe women. Um, Mm I, you know, even though in the end it is kind of a little amorphous, you know, because it's, you know, or ambiguous, I should say, because, you know, uh, Eve asks to kind of see Cicely's memory. Um, and it's, um...
0: It's not clear. It's still not it's clear. It's not clear.
1: You know, she can see that he hit her and that there, you know, something happened, but, you know, that's sort of like the the trauma of memory. Again, the <laughs> the film is sort of that, you know, like I said earlier, like a meditation on that, on, on memory and on, um, you know, reality. Um, but I mean, obviously I read it a, a little more cynically, you know, <laughs> that it, that it, that it was him. Um you know, I think it's, again, when I think about, like, our time working, like, together doing, like, the many monologues and doing the vagina monologues and working on V-Day and working within that that context, um, I find that, you know, when women tell their own stories, uh, these are the stories they tell, unfortunately. You know, mm-hmm. that these sorts of horrors that are visited upon women's bodies, um, you know, are just are just very are too commonplace, you know, and Casey talked about that. This isn't exactly autobiographical, but that there is snippets of her own life in here. Um, You know, and that it kind of started out that way of like kind of a collection of like, you know, essays or short stories about just growing up and her own experiences. uh, Like I read earlier about her, her life. So I wonder if, you know, if this is some, is, is this an event that happened in her life? You know, to mm-hmm. a sibling or to herself that she is, you know, thinking about or wrestling with um, at the time of, of writing and putting this, this film together and putting it out there. I just think it's a very, um, again, that existential horror. You know, you could sit down and watch this and it's like, it's not really scary unless you really put yourself... You know it, it is a film that kind of begs that, begs that radical empathy of like putting yourself in the in the roles of these different characters and thinking about their lives and thinking about you know what we how children get robbed of their innocence, how you know the the violence that's perpetrated on on women and on girls mm-hmm. um, you know, I think is very present uh here in this in this movie which is why I think it's a very important um addition to to this series that we're doing you know and talking and and especially because you know it's written and directed by Casey herself uh I think it's very important to um include it and encourage people to see it cuz I just think like I said it's a very um it's a nice like dissertation <laughs> on the traumas of of childhood mm mm-hmm. Um, I was trying to find because speaking of um Samuel L. Jackson because he basically I think he's probably one of the big reasons that this movie got made oh yeah um, is that
0: uh, I didn't mind his Creole accent when it came out
1: <laughs> no I you know I enjoy listening to that accent I enjoy listening to the French in the film um you know I think it's I actually really think that's a beautiful um mixing together of this, of, of, of culture of, of language. Mm -hmm.
0: Which, which by the way, I know that you probably watched this with the subtitles on. There was French things that I couldn't quite make out. Um, So I'm not going to ask you to explain, to translate every single moment of French, (laughs) but what is, um, what is raison raison Um, privé? It's when, -hmm. it's, it's when um, Elzora takes Eve back to her, um, her house her office and she's asking her why does she who does she want to kill and then Eve speaks French for the first time and she says uh, raison privée or like it, "Um," and I and I read that you know in just in my limited knowledge of romance languages as like you know that's a private reason or like it's yeah. a secret or something like that I mean that,
1: that bas- that's exactly what it like directly would be translated as Okay. a private reason. Like I mm-hmm. have my, I have my reasons, you know, yeah. uh, it's secret. Um, mm-hmm. I'm allowed to have secrets as the adults are. Um, but again, because it's like Creole French, there are, there are definitely some, some words and phrases that even reading them um, and, and hearing them a few times, you, you know, it, it's not really the same, you know, because we're taught, we're taught like French, French, you know, just mm-hmm. like we're taught, Spanish. You're talking the Imperial French. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, we're taught, you know, when, when we learn Spanish, we learn, like, Spain Spanish, you know. Mm-hmm. So, talking to, like, people from, like, French, can, can, uh, French Canadian people, you know, like, Québécois mm-hmm. is different. Um, you know, they're just saying, I think, the same as, as with, like, Creole, you know. They're, um, there's a lot of similarities, obviously. They're, you know, they're based on the same thing. But just, um, well, like, anything. Like, I mean, you could travel around you know the united states and hear different turns of phrases that you're like i don't know what the fuck that means <laughs> yeah and so the same is true you know for you know, like, languages that, that i don't know what you know, my p's
0: and, and q's are but apparently i have to mine them like right
1: yeah <laughs> um shoot and of course i lost what i wanted to read to you
0: Here, this is a sidetrack that i'm gonna say only because i want you to get back in your train of thought but growing up in the elementary school there was this woman her name was mrs miller and she was a white lady with a southern accent and i always wonder how people like that end up on guam (laughs) um i know i think it's ever um entirely addressed but she was like I forget what she taught but she taught something and she came in and she did like a unit on this um uh she came in and into like my class and did like a unit about um this one like story that took place in the south and she was there to kind of explain the southern expressions to in in her you know in her with her southern drawl herself so like mind your p's and q's um Mm -hmm. i think it was mind your p's and q's and sunday go to meet and finery (laughs) were the two that i stick out from my memory um she also had uh, a daughter her name was chelsea who was like this manic pixie dream girl like also just like you know, little white little white girl with blonde hair, <laughs> just running around this island of Micronesian kids, uh, it was really fun. Anyway, did you? Are you back on your train of thought?
1: <laughs> well, no, I was just looking for something specific to read to you, but because I yeah, had, um, uh, I touched the screen and it like you know vanishes. But um, I, I wanted to say this earlier, but because we were taught, you know, since you brought up um, Samuel L. Jackson, um, I wanted to um, read this so. While Eve's Bayou, this is from Vulture. While Eve's Bayou is a distinctly Black film for its um, evocation of Louisiana culture, it doesn't take interest in discussions of racism or overt political uh, machinations, instead rooting itself in the experiences that occur between Black people of this milieu. Um, uh, Casey held on to, you know, Lemons held on to her desire to create Eve's Bayou, even as she faced obstacles finding funding. When Jackson came on board as a star and producer, the film finally became a reality. Uh, Speaking at the National Film Theater about the film in 1998, uh, he noted uh, studios looked at the script and said, who is going to come and see this just because we couldn't put a hip hop soundtrack on it meant it wasn't going to be soul food. Not every story about everyday Afro-Americans is a hood film in this film. There's no mention of the political climate of the times, which, again, I think, you know, if you if when you allow us to tell our own stories, whoever the us are, whether we're black women. Queer people, Asian, whatever. Um, you know. Again, I, I, I'm separating out like the the typical white heterosexual <laughs> films that get made. <laughs> that perspective. Um, we don't get lost in identity exploration, you know, because we see ourselves as people. You know, we see ourselves as full people, as as expansive and complex um, as an, as any as white males <laughs> as straight white males. Um, you know? And so I, I think it's, I, I just think that's a great conversation, especially again, when contextualizing this in the rest of like, you know, nineties films where we did see that expansion of, of black identity, um, you know, that, that she, he, they were kind of on that same page of like, not wanting to get lost in this political conversation. This was a story about a family's trauma and, mm-hmm life in in the now you know um the now of the film i mean
0: (laughs) yeah um yeah and it it also is it brings up the the question and uh, maybe not the question but like the idea of like telling black stories that are not like intrinsically linked to like racial trauma or or like black black trauma Um, right in in this film it's like in this I, and I hesitate to say that this film doesn't have black trauma because it has trauma in it, but it has trauma that kind of exists independently from, uh, exists independently from uh, the quote unquote, uh, black racial identity. Um, I mean, many things. you could probably make the argument that like it is, you know, inherently linked. <laughs> But, uh, the trauma that the trauma is inherently linked, uh, but it's not anything like they're not dealing with like, you know, some white man coming in to take the house or. Right. Yeah.
1: The things they're not, you know, again, the stories that get told through like a white lens usually focus on that kind of Mm -hmm. struggle or strife because they assume that that's what people are thinking. You know that that's like that's the basis of fear, or that's the basis of of everything is in is in conjunction to the white identity. You know, Mm -hmm. or like the you know that that's the constantly the the conversation. And while it is, there is that you know uh, found you know foundational um, uh, organization against you know, the white supremacist power structures, Mm -hmm. it's not the thing that, you know, we're all constantly you know again that's that's why like queer films i struggle with sometimes because it's always constantly pitting us like we're struggling with wanting to be heteronormative like that's Uh that that is our struggle when straight people tell our stories that our struggles are about aids or about suicide or about you know that society hates us and not when we see ourselves like we have our own families and like many of us live perfectly acceptable, wonderful lives, full and rich of, you know, of experience and is not at all tied to the things that straight people want um, mm-hmm. or think we want. Uh, again, some of us do, and that's perfectly fine.
0: You know? yeah, That's one of the reasons why I like um, it came out, I think in 2012, 2013 pride, which talks about um, the gay and gays and lesbians supporting the minors during the minor strike in England. Mm-hmm. And they that that comes up beautifully in it because there's like people in the in the little group in this kind of like you know lefty activist group that are just like you know we are committed to each other like they they want to be um, they're very much like trying to lead those like heteronormative lives and focus exclusively on you know how to make to have the legitimacy and the normalcy of, of who they are as opposed to like what you hear from more radical queers who are just like, I want nothing to do with being straight. Like (laughs) it's like I, uh, if they straight people want it, I want it even less type type of thing.
1: Right. Which I don't necessarily share that belief. It's just that I have my Mm -hmm. own, you know, um, yeah, I wasn't interested. And I think also that comes from my own like childhood trauma of seeing a lot of straight people around me be really horrible and awful to each other. <laughs> yeah, and have failing relationships. And so you go, well, I don't want to copy that. Like, that, I'm not interested in that. Um, I'm not interested in, you know, what people sell as normal. You know, I hate when people mm-hmm. are like, oh, it's, it's, you know, it's normal to scream and yell at each other. Like, no, that's not normal to me. Um, that's unacceptable to me. Um, and I don't wish to be in a relationship where that's normal. Mm -hmm. um but that's sold as normal quite often um so one other thing i was thinking about and watching this this uh movie is you know i've been um going to a lot of like um or not going but doing a lot of like zoom
0: (laughs) i was like where um, are you going
1: (laughs) right zoom watching of like rachel true she's been you know from the craft Mm -hmm. she's been talking about her tarot book and her tarot deck and her experiences being uh you know, involved in tarot, which she's been involved with for almost 40 years since she was very young. It didn't come up because of the craft. She was already, you know, into tarot. That was part of her life. Um, and so one of the things she's talked about in almost everything that I've, I've watched, um, because a lot of the Zooms that I've gone to have attracted, you know, a large, you know, Black female audience. Um, you know, she talks about, like, that struggle of, like, you know, people finding tarot or natural quote-unquote natural magics you know to be like about the devil or to be about um you know dark and evil things so she's been kind of on this mission to um you know be kind of a voice and talk about you know again she uses uh, tarot therapeutically uh you know as this sort of intuition guide um and that's what her book is about and 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 um you know it's it's very beautiful, and so I, I think it's interesting within this movie because you know you're talking '97, so what is that twenty four years ago now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was yesterday, right? Um, you know, so I I think what's all, what's very cool about this this is another thing from the graveyard shift uh, sisters. Is that you know it portrays Southern conjure magic and its practitioners in a way that many other movies don't. As regular people with families, homes, hopes, dreams, Uh, they don't. They're not one-dimensional to serve the plot. You know, obviously Mm -hmm. there are things about them that serve the plot. The movie's about them. Um, You know, but it shows conjure magic is not evil in and of itself, but is the product of its wielder and their intent, which is as true to magic as we can ever be. Um, Yeah. I really like that because again, that is sort of centers the magic in the movie as this kind of um, natural magic and pulling away from like what you, what again, I think like the serpent in the rainbow, you know, where voodoo, you know, plays a big part. Um, You know, I think of other movies about voodoo and um, you know, African quote unquote magics by mm-hmm. white people. <laughs> you know, contextualizes voodoo as this kind of dark and scary thing, you know, this antithesis to white Christianity and Jesus. Mm-hmm. And you kind of Wh- see those mm-hmm. come together.
0: Wh- which is really interesting because it's the antithesis of white Christian they think it's this antithesis of white Christianity and Jesus, when in actuality, like it's a blending of like that Yoruba, like the Yoruba idea, like the the Yoruba religion, with white with Christianity as a way to practice, to continue to practice the old traditions that were brought over by enslaved. By the enslaved ancestors.
1: Right. Yeah. Cause I think even Moselle talks about Jesus and praying to Jesus.
0: They had specific. like a whole little prayer thing and and yeah. and that's what's I think that's what's interesting in the and the complex nature specifically of like Southern Gothic stuff that takes place in like a New Orleans or like a Louisiana context is because you know New Orleans, Louisiana, they're they're that's that port city. Creole is like Spanish it's French. It's a whole right. bunch of different people, and then also like freed, uh, freed enslaved Africans as well that lived in the area. But I mean, I really, I relate really heavily to this idea of like I've I've always felt like this really intimate connection with the idea of like Voodoo voodoo culture or um, and religion because. Um, I'm not going to say like we have an explicit thing like that back home of as far as Monguam as far as like you know the these things but like there is kind of like that blending of like folk cultural ancient belief right and reconciling that as well with like your with like the the religion of the colonizer and and all of that so it's it's really fascinating to kind of see how with, like, voodoo, you know, it's a more formal way of doing that. And then For me, it's just, like, you know, there were things that we believed culturally, but, like, if we were true Christians, and, and I remember this, like, we believe that, like, the ancestors inhabit the jungle, right? And to be very respectful and to be quiet and to ask for permission before you enter those places, otherwise, you know, you'll to risk the wrath of the ancestors. And then to, like, hear the like Chamorro archbishop say like, you don't need to do that because if you have Jesus, Jesus will protect, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And to think like, to to realize like so young that I was like, that just felt wrong. <laughs> it like, like, and to believe simultaneously in the presence of God and Christ. And then also like the, the ancestors that walk the earth and trying to reconcile that. So like right. v- voodoo culture and religion and kind of how, I liked how it was, it was very brief in, in the moments where it played out, but it was like also very intimate because, you know, they, she's a psychic, well, she's a psychic counselor, you know, she has legitimized herself in that way as a psychic counselor. Yeah. And then, uh, Moselle has, but then also like begins with prayer and then even the prayers that are said at, uh, uh, Lewis's um, Funeral at the end as well, just like right. the the Lord's prayer, and so it, it, I appreciate that, and I always feel like that connection to it.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. There's that that blending, and you know, again, because of like colonization and and the, the forces of colonization, you know, kind of pulling the proverbial like rug out from under people you know and mm-hmm. taking away their faith and their religion you know kind of gets pushed to that space you know um we have to demonize and um evilize <laughs> mm-hmm. evilize <laughs> you know, uh uh-huh. you know in order to um you know to to dominate religion is a very easy way you know to, is a, is a useful weapon of colonization mm-hmm. uh, when you come in and and uh you know, and and it excuses a lot of behavior. You know, when you can kind of tell people, we've seen that. I mean, it still happens. You know, where people are, you know, turned violent because their religion is right, and it makes it easy to go into a foreign country and murder a bunch of people um, that are really on the surface exactly like you are, but you've been tricked, you know, or you've bought into this um, idea of of. The, you know the power of your faith and your god and your country you know it all gets mm-hmm. kind of wrapped up that sort of nationalism um you know and we've seen that throughout history you know it's just a very very powerful weapon um even though that's not exactly the conversation happening here but <laughs> it is um you know within the film that's not you know again they're not it's, it's very natural everybody's just kind of like oh yeah sure the voodoo woman over there and yeah you know go see Moselle for you know it's a very it's very real you mm-hmm. know Uh, to them that again, they're not struggling against that either. You know, she's, you know, uh, synthesized her, Mm -hmm. this Judeo Christianity with, um, you know, the Afro Creole. (laughs) It's just a very, you know, in a very natural way, it comes off. It feels so, you know, real. Um, All right. So, we'll we'll stop there. Um, One thing I want to, I just wanted to end on this last little thing. Um, Strong women, young and old, abound in this tale, *Eve's Bayou, and it is their choices that drive the storyline. It brings quiet chills to the genre film canon, showing that we as people of color can master the subtleties of Gothic. Again, that's from the mm. graveyard, graveyard Shift Sisters, and I think that's a good way to kind of sum up the film. As this Southern Gothic tale, it has a lot in common with, uh, with that uh, genre. But beautifully done, well-executed, um, you know, again, I've seen this film actually quite a few times in the last year. I always enjoy putting, it. again, it's another one like gonjen Hess, where I think of it as like a moving painting in a way. It's just very mm-hmm. beautiful. Yeah, so. I, I would watch this again.
0: I would watch this again. I, I, I love, I generally love Southern Gothic mm-hmm. um, feels, you know, just the the intrigue of family, families with secrets. <laughs> Right. I love all of that. Um, so I definitely would watch this again. And I'm glad Gosh. that we're talking about it now.
1: Yeah, it'll have a 25th anniversary, I guess, next year. Um, so I hope that there'll be some showings of it and some discussions.
0: Yeah. Come on, Criterion uh, Collection.
1: Yeah, it's definitely a film that deserves that. It was put in the National Film Registry. Uh, I read a uh, an interview, again, an interview with um, Casey where she was just you know, so amazed by that, you know, and, and I think grateful that, you know, you know, this film that seems sort of like an art house, seems like it is an indie flick, um, you know, became, it, yeah, in 2018, uh, the Library of Congress selected it for Preservation the National film, Ind- uh, film Registry for being, as we all know, culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. Um, and uh, so it should definitely get a like a 25th anniversary re-release i think there's a director's cut somewhere um it'd be great if they if that got a re-release i've not seen that i think it adds like five five or ten minutes of footage uh so yeah i'm hoping it will get that full fanfare next year uh if not maybe for the 30th anniversary in mm-hmm. um 27 2027 <laughs> is that what that would be 90 97 oh uh, dear I hate math. It's no fun. Um, but yeah, so that was Eve's Bayou. And, uh, you know, highly recommend. Joe, this was fun. Good to see you. And we will uh, do our last movie in this series next week. All right? All right. All
0: right. All right.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, dear listener, thank you as always for listening. We really appreciate it. We hope that you had a, you know, if you do the Valentine's Day thing, hope it was good. Valentine's Day, hope it was great. If you Valentine's Day, Valentine, whatever it is. Um. Uh. If not, you know, hit up the supermarkets today. The stores they should have lots of discount chocolate and candies for you to enjoy. All by yourself, I recommend. <laughs> <laughs> um, all righty, well i will uh we'll see you next week. Good night.
0: Fright School is produced by Joshua Napier and Joe Farron. Our intro was
1: edited by Davy Boy Productions.
0: Our logo was designed by Jamie Channel Guzman. Episodes are edited and engineered by Joe Farron. Fright School is produced in terrifyingly beautiful San Diego, California.